What's up, guys? It's Matt. On this week's edition of the TKW Podcast, I talked to Kyle Maggio and Jonathan Macri about the Knicks head coaching search. We take you through every candidate that's been talked about, kind of dissect them, talk about who we'd like to end up coaching the Knicks. There's been a lot of rumors out there, so we got you covered. Without further ado, let's go. Hello, folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm Matt Spendley, and I'm here this week to talk about the Knicks coaching search, and I'm joined by Kyle Maggio. What's going on, buddy? And Jonathan Macri. What's going on? So what's going on, boys? Exciting time in Knicks land. We get to evaluate a bunch of coaching candidates. Uh, you know, it's really fun. We have done this how many times over the last four years? Three different times? Uh, too damn many. <laughs> And it's so great because absolutely nothing could go wrong. This could only end well. Absolutely. I remember the Derek Fisher situation going really well. So you're so right. Oh, my God. Like, I was worried I still, about it. I, outside of banging players' girlfriends, I think Fisher got a pretty raw deal. Uh, no pun intended on raw and the, <laughs> the girlfriends. But um, no, God, I, I felt, come on, buddy. We're like a minute I'm in here. I'm sorry. I had to get it out. Um <laughs> I don't know. I thought Fisher was fine. I really liked his his scheme and play style, but that's another time, another place. Can we talk about Hornacek just for a second before we get into it? Because I also thought he was fine. We talked about it plenty, and we've had plenty of coverage. But yeah, am are you a hundred percent convinced that whatever coach they bring in or the guy that you like is going to be that much better than Hornacek was for the Knicks? Like, is that something that you have in your mind? This guy is a hundred percent better, and we'll get into all the candidates. So before saying the name. Just is that something that you believe going into this coaching search? When you say candidates, do you mean people that reasonable basketball organizations might hire or all of the names that have come out in connection to this particular next job? Including Ron Artest. Yes. Metal World Peace, the number one candidate for all of us. The latter, Jonathan. I do not have uh, that level of confidence, Maggio, but that's me. I think... I think it's going to, even if I were to say 100% confidence, right, uh, it would be kind of a crapshoot until year two. Like, but let's say they hire the guy that I want, and we'll get to that, right? But we're not going to really have any idea if, you know, that's really the right guy for the job until KP's back after a full training camp with the new coach and the new scheme, uh, the new offense, the new plays. Like, we're not really going to know until then. So I don't, I would place it at, like 60 percent confidence i think ultimately where this team is at if you're looking at hornacek i mean there may be some people out there who think the reason he got fired was because of the record i I think there was clearly way more to it than that Mm -hmm. and i i honestly think there was a scenario where he could have finished with 50 whatever wins he finished with over the two seasons and kept his job so i'm inclined to to agree uh with that that it, their record might not be great this year, but I, I think we could still, after another 82 games, judge whether or not this coaching hire is going to be at least semi-successful or not. What about you, Matt? 
I was always maintaining that Hornacek definitely got really dealt a bad hand, but I also do think it was time to move on. Do I have confidence that whatever coaching candidate can replace him will be that much better? No, because I don't even really have a huge favorite, to be honest with you. There's a few that I'd be fine with. There's a few that I would absolutely unequivocally not be fine with, and that's kind of where I'm drawing my lines. So some people might have more confidence in some of the more popular candidates. I don't harbor that same level of confidence. But time will tell. Yeah, I mean, the the only thing I was going to say about Hornacek before we move on is uh, I kind of feel he got dealt a bad hand only because before the KP injury and I think in in the middle of Timmy being injured for that long stretch, they were perfectly average on both sides of the ball. and. The, the reason why I think it was time to move on, and I agree with you, is the thing that I spoke about a lot over the summer um, on various podcasts and kind of was hoping for was Phil's gone, the the mystique of the triangle is gone, and Hornacek was known in Phoenix for running that up-tempo system with his guards and just pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, shooting a lot of threes. So I was like, you know what? You know, this is... To me, that's all I want to see. Like, just just push it. You know, Timmy is a great transition guy, and you know, you, you added Frankie and KP can shoot the three. I was like, this should really open up the offense now. And we saw nothing that changed from the year before, more or less. So that's when I got frustrated. I was like, now you have the reins for the offense, and you changed almost nothing from the year before. And I was like, that was really disappointing. Yes, they were perfectly average, and. You can say he made it work when uh, the various injuries here and there before KP went down for the year, but that's kind of where I drew the line. I was like, you're not even optimizing KP uh, when healthy. You haven't changed the scheme at all. And that's when I was just like, I- I'm all set. I think it's time to move on here. We've seen it all. And Maggio, if I could, if I could jump on that real quick, um, I'm, I just finished up a piece that's that we're going to have on the Knicks, uh, the Knicks wall this week, um, looking at like just some statistical trends of successful teams and thinking about how it should influence the not only the coaching hire but also the process of building the team moving forward and you see bad teams in the league like the nets this year the sixers the last couple years doing stuff that successful teams do so it's not always a matter of the stuff that you're doing necessarily leading to wins but he didn't do any of the stuff as you suggested that modern teams have to put in place like he didn't he had a chance to institute any systems he wanted, and he didn't institute a, a single one that you felt like, okay, this is how the Knicks are going to play going forward, and this right. is going to work once they get some more talent. It just, it, it, if he's the best you could do as a head coach, then you're doing something wrong as an organization, especially when you play in theoretically the best media market and the place where a coach is going to want to come, want to be successful. Like that's not, that's not good enough. Perfectly average, no. Let's do better than that. Exactly. And I think for the first time in a while, it feels like people are not poo-pooing the Knicks job and saying it's a job no one would want. I think it may not have a super high level of desirability, but it's also not a job that's toxic. Like, it's not like we're hiring the freaking Cleveland Browns head coach here. You know, it's they have KP, which is enough for any coach to want to get the position, and they have some sense of stability, which for the Knicks is not saying much, but you feel like they have some continuity within the organization and they have an idea of what they want. I think who they end up hiring 
will say a lot for that. So with that being said, the six candidates that we're going to talk about tonight, which vary in experience, age, time around the NBA, there are a lot of different components at play here, are Mark Jackson, David Fisdale, Jerry Stackhouse, Mike Woodson, Jeff Van Gundy, and David Blatt. So these six guys have all had their time around the NBA. We have someone like Woodson that's been a coach for 20 plus years. We have a guy like Van Gundy that hasn't coached in over 10 years. We have a David Blatt who's coached internationally. Of course, he had the flame out with the Cavs. We have Mark Jackson who's been out of coaching for a little while to broadcast. And then we have Fisdale who was with the Grizzlies earlier this year and was abruptly fired due to a feud with Marcus Gasol. And then a Jerry Stackhouse, who coached in the G League, has no NBA experience, but very respected man in NBA circles, had an extensive career, very successful. So let's go right down the list and hit off with potentially the most divisive one, not among us, but perhaps among the Twitter spheres, is, uh, is Mark Jackson. So, Jonathan, why don't you kick us off with Mark Jackson here, and what do you think about him potentially becoming the head man of the Knicks? Uh, God. Um, okay, so let's start with this. Um, putting aside all of the other stuff for a minute that I'm sure we're going to get into that has nothing to do with what, what went on on the basketball court. Um, Mark Jackson's, the people, the people that are supporting his candidacy would say that he took a team um, and a franchise that had been nowhere um, and he turned them into an elite defensive unit, which is fair. He did that. Um, And he brought them from a perennial 20 some odd win team um, and took them to the playoffs two years in a row, 51 wins his last season. They won a playoff series. I look at it the other way around. Mark Jackson had arguably the most talented team in the league. Um, And the year after he got let go, they improved by 17 wins and went from a first-round playoff out to kind of coasting to the NBA championship. Um, And if you dig into the numbers a little bit, like the year after he left, they started a three-year run where they were the best offense in history over that time span over a three-year time span his last year with you could argue curry and clay uh were both you know in their primes david lee was still like a productive player they still had Draymond green he had andre Iguodala. they were 12th in overall offense um mark jackson's last year i i mean if any of us coached the warriors that year i i'm pretty sure they could have been better than the 12th most efficient offense in the league yep like that you know and then it, you start to slowly get into the off-the-court stuff, which is it's documented, and this is a fact, that the ownership was like, hey, we like some of the stuff that you're doing. You clearly have these players' attention. Let us help you. We'll open our wallets. We'll spend all the money we have to spend to bring in an associate head coach to help you structure a modern NBA offense. And he was like, no, go, you know, go fuck yourselves. Like, that's... That And that's not a thing – like if Mark Jackson was that guy to say that four and a half years ago, he's going to have that same mentality now. Right. Like all these people are like, oh, he's going to get another chance at his – dream or a chance at his dream job. He could have changed. 
Like he has not, he's had tons of opportunities to show learning, remorse, reflectiveness on that whole situation. He hasn't done it at all. Yep. And I want to keep it, I want to keep on the court for a second and then we'll get right back into that. And I'm curious what, I want to get a Kyle's take on this. So offensively, as you mentioned, his first year, they were 16th and then they were 11th and then they were 12th and then he was let go. The following four years, they've been second, first, first, and second. And defensively, they were 27th his first year, improved to 16th, and then improved to third. And then they were first, fourth, second, and ninth. So the progression of their players is obvious. And the fact that they added KD for the last two years, again, it's obvious they were going to be better. But the jump was drastic enough where it's important to note that. So Kyle, in terms of on the court, what about Jackson excites you or scares you Uh, more so scares me before i I dive in further i just want to put a disclaimer out there because i think it was like four months ago i had a small it was like a a one hour twitter rant and i went back and forth with like jared from off the wall and a couple other people where i wasn't so much defending jackson on the court but i remember seeing a lot of people just specifically saying well he was a terrible coach and then i was like I don't think he was terrible. I don't think he was great or even really good. But saying he was a bad coach seemed like a stretch. So I don't want to get caught up in uh, we do this a lot in the basketball world, especially basketball Twitter, where things are either like you're a good coach yep. or you just suck. Way like too binary. This is, this it happens all the time. Right. Like, I think this is the same thing with Hornacek. Like, he's fine. He was perfectly average, but we don't want perfectly average. We want someone who can maximize our players the way Kerr has maximized Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. So while, you know, he may have won games with them, the way Hornacek won games with a healthy KP, like, we, we don't want that. We want a guy who's going to, how can I get the most out of these players? Not just my system, my scheme. How can I maximize my players? And Absolutely. So I don't think he's that guy. I think he's a perfectly fine basketball coach. I, I don't think he's anything special uh but on the court i mean pretty much you guys nailed a lot of it i don't think he he does a lot that separates anything i mean a lot of what he he did wasn't really pace and space it was very i wouldn't call it iso ball but he let guys go to work a little bit more often um without a lot of ball movement a lot of a lot of action i guess can i back you up on that for a second go for it Jonathan. Uh, the Warriors, since he's left, have been obviously in the top ten in, in passes made per game mm-hmm. uh, every season. Um, this the last two years, I think they've been in the top five. His last year as coach, they were dead last in the NBA in passes made uh, per game with two hundred and forty three point eight, which was miles behind the second to last team. The Pistons were at two fifty nine point one. He saw, as you suggested. He saw his guys, his players, as like these individual talents that, like you said, send him, send Clay Thompson to go to work, send Steph Curry to go to work, send Andrea Godal to go to work, and never once had the foresight to be like, wait a minute, I have this really rare collection of guys who could do all these different things. I wonder if there's a way to make the whole greater than the sum of the parts. Like and to not see that again, no one's saying he's a bad coach. And if we were just talking about X's and O's, I think that this would end up being a different conversation. But that's is is that really the best coach that's out there? For a guy like Jackson, where I'm glad Jonathan brought up the the passes per game because that's the exact stat that I was also going to bring up. 
it's important to consider that the Warriors had this offense that became defined by its ability to move the basketball, to create open looks for shooters. It was defined by that. And in his last year, they just didn't achieve that at all. And it was clearly a it was clearly the fault of him and it's what he didn't do in his offense that created that so i saw something too when i was looking through reddit today and people were saying oh you know he used to give jermaine o'neal all these post-ups and i was like holy shit jermaine o'neal was on the warriors that was my first thought but (laughs) (laughs) it was just like all the things that their offense became he took them as far as he could have and they became better and I always get a kick out of this is completely separate. I always get a kick out of when he announces the Warriors games because he has to watch his former mate just be with someone so much better and know that he was not the right person for it. And it's just always funny. It's like it has a twinge of sadness, but then you're like, ah, you know, come on. It's just you just get a kick out of it. That's how you're gonna see it. So but yeah. it boils down I couldn't agree with you as more. When it comes to the X's and O's, he's not good enough to mitigate the risk that you have to take on when it comes to the off-the-court stuff. So Jonathan had mentioned it already. I'm going to read off a list of things I saw today, and you guys just hop in if you had anything else that you saw that happened when he was there, that came out after. So obviously his uh, his leave from Golden State was fairly unceremonious. He, I saw a few things. He's a very religious guy, so I saw he's spewing a lot of you know, homophobic language. When Jason Collins came out as gay, he said things like, I'd pray for him, and that would never fly in my locker room. So that seemed to cause some tension, especially in a city like Golden State in California that's so open-minded, and the NBA in a league where we accept and celebrate everyone for being different. And it's one of the great things I think all of us love about the NBA is they're so proactive in harboring a nice, safe, and inclusive environment. And by the way, the Knicks, the Knicks just had the first ever, I believe, in the NBA uh, LGBTQ yes. uh, night at MSG. Like, that's, Excellent point. You know, that's not, that's not insignificant. Right. Beyond that, we had him – there was a story about Festus Azili when Azili was out and uh, Jackson had told the players that Azili was rooting against them so that he, that he would be, be – happy when they failed and then Azili came to the team they had a meeting with him and he was crying because he had never done anything like that he never had those feelings he would sabotage assistance Jonathan mentioned it before because he was insecure about his own job he banned Jim Barnett who's the play-by-play or color commentator for the Warriors and just a legend out there and they love him he's like their Clyde is kind of what I took away from it and Jerry West from practice I saw this (laughs) on Reddit, and I just thought it was so funny. It doesn't seem like it's backed up by anything but this one guy saying that he had two sources, that Jackson once said that Harrison Barnes was struggling because he was possessed by a demon. Yes. (laughs) yes. I I just saw this, and I was... This can't be real. It's hysterical, but I I don't know. (laughs) You know, either it's it's real or someone has a way too good imagination to to just make that up. Yeah, yeah. But for all the on the court stuff, I think it, it had to be one of you guys before on Twitter put it like my thoughts exactly. It's like adding Jeff Hornacek, but then also Jeff Hornacek is physically throwing Charles Oakley out of the stands. Like you guys said it before about how it, it's not so much just the on the court stuff, but it's the on the court stuff plus how toxic he can be 
to an organization that is historically and famously and just wildly toxic. It's like you're setting yourself up for failure, even hoping for that. Like that shouldn't be a hope, you know, like if you end up with them, you deal with it, you go from there. But like that shouldn't be you shouldn't hope to add a guy with it wasn't like one incident or two incidents or five incidents or seven incidents like (laughs) Like it's it's just a a laundry list of things that he did wrong with the players, with the front office, with uh, I mean top to bottom. The, you know you just said the color commentator. It, it's everything. It's everything. You can't bring that to Madison Square Garden, which is just a, a cesspool of misery almost all the time. You just cannot do it. So that's it, that's where it's at for me. It's like I don't want to add another average coach, and I especially don't want to add another average coach that comes with this much baggage. It's just absolutely positive. This isn't like we're adding Greg Popovich Mm -hmm. and then Greg Popovich had all this stuff, but pretty good success. You know, it's not, it's not that it's not that at all. It would be a lot different if that was the case. And also, you know, it'd be one thing if the concerns were just out of what happened in golden state, but this is a guy who after his first five years as a Nick, um, he never spent more than three and a half seasons consecutively in any one place in the NBA. And he was on uh, one, two, three, I believe nine different teams. Uh, I, I, he was, he had two stints with the Pacers, but like that might not be a coincidence. The fact that he didn't last any of his NBA playing stops that long. And there, I mean, I don't know if, if anybody wants to go read up on what happened in uh, in Utah uh, when he was there, apparently trying to stage like a locker room coup against uh, John Stockton and the other veterans on the team when he was on the on the the roster for just a year, like this, we have enough evidence to know that this is it's not an isolated incident. Um, so it's like yeah, and 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 to bring him into a situation where like. You know, we've seen when things go bad in other organizations, you can handle it. Like, things are going haywire in San Antonio right now, but they're holding it together. Mm -hmm. There's zero evidence that things in the Knicks organization have ever been held together when they go haywire. Um, Yeah, no, just no. Just say no. So do you guys care at all that when he was dismissed, Steph Curry kind of stepped up and was upset about it does that give you any pause or make you any more even the littlest bit encouraged that it could be something that he's a a coach that the players seem to like for me it's a no because like you know yes he got them to a different level and they'll be the first person people to admit that and even the people that aren't fans of his would have to admit that like he taught those guys how to believe in themselves to a new level and play hard on defense. But, you know, there's so much more to coaching than just getting your guys to believe in themselves and getting them to play hard. Um, That should be something that when you get the right roster combination together and you get guys and put them in a position to win, they're going to play hard. And you can make them believe in themselves in different ways. That's not why you hire a coach. So, no, that, that doesn't give me pause as far as, like, giving it second thoughts to hire him or not. Yeah, Steph's historically, or at least at that time, was regarded as a really humble, nice dude, too. So to me, that was more like, you know, don't want to say the wrong thing kind of thing. You know, I don't I mean, now that that narrative is kind of shifted to, you know, being a two time champion and MVP and the greatest shooter of all time. And then all the 
all the humble has kind of eroded from Steph and he's just gone full. I mean, he's embraced it, which is fine. But at the time, he was still like the quiet, like good guy that everybody loves. So I don't put almost any stock in it, to be honest. I'd agree. So any final thoughts about our clear number one choice, Mark Jackson? <clears throat> just don't hire him. It's just if you're going to do your due diligence, he's one of the coaches available and he was a average coach. I mean, he had success no matter which way you measure it on court um, with the Warriors while he was there in the present. Like 50 games in the West is good. Like it just is. So if you're doing your due diligence, I understand that. If you just want to see where his head's at, hope to hear that there's some sort of radical change. I, I don't I don't know what they could hear that would change their mind. It wouldn't be anything for me, but I don't – whatever. So Perry seems like a guy who wants to dig a little deeper, do, you know, be a little bit more patient. I don't know. I, I just don't hire him. There's nothing he can say. There's just – there's not anything that could happen in that interview that would make any of us feel good about things, I don't think. Yeah, I'll, I'll second that. Um, the only thing that would, would make me a little bit worried is they apparently uh, for tomorrow have scheduled his interview and Woodson's interview. They're both in L.A. And my worry is that, you know, so we know Mills talked to um, the Warriors front office. And if you've heard from the Warriors front office, like, look, the biggest issue with us and Mark is he refused to, to let us get him help. And... I'm worried that Jackson's going to turn around and be like, well, you know what? I've learned my lesson. If you guys want to put, you know, Woodson as my associate head coach, I'm cool with that. Um, I just want the job. I, I mean, I, to me, there's way too much other smoke there to 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 have that be enough to give him the chance. But I, that would be my concern, would be that if he turned around and, and relented on that, that they would say, all right, well, you know what? He's, he's learned his lesson and um let's give it a shot which i maybe that's a transition to talking about woodson although i don't know how much there's really is to say about him Mm -hmm. yeah so let's go right into mike woodson so coached the knicks for a couple years back in 2011 through 2014 i want to say assistant for years with the bucks Cavs, sixers pistons been an assistant with the clippers for the last few years under doc rivers he had a 109 79 record with the knicks he coached them to their 54-win season in 2012-2013, which featured Carmelo Anthony finishing third in MVP voting. They shot a ton of threes, which is something that he gets credited with being ahead of his time a bit in terms of creating an offense that spaced it out. Whether that was intentional or not is a point of contention and something to consider. But we can get into Woodson. I will say the one thing about his tenure in New York that I always admired was his ability to handle the egos of players fairly well. Because that Knicks team, in specifically in 2012-13, had a lot of veterans that were really proud guys. When, when Melo's your leader, and then you had guys like Amari and Jason Kidd and Marcus Camby and J.R. Smith, there's a lot of personalities to handle, and they all seem to like him a decent bit. And I think that counts. But... Going back down the well just seems like the exact opposite move an organization in the exact opposite move that an organization in the Knicks perspective should do. It just doesn't seem like the right move to do that. And I liked Woody quite a bit. I enjoyed mm-hmm. him. You know, we we got their best season in years with him at the helm. I 
He's a fine coach. I have no problem with it. It just doesn't feel like this is the time in the organization when you're trying to push a brand new image with a brand new superstar and incoming young talent with new men at the helm that he's the guy that you go after. So, Kyle, let's start with you. Thoughts on Woody? I do want to say a quick point you said about, you know, he was a little bit ahead of his time with the three-point shooting and whether or not that was his responsibility is a point of, you know, contention. Um, I don't like that, and it's it's another basketball community issue, but we like to move the credit around when we see fit. Like he he was the head coach of the team. The team shot a lot of threes. Um, the team that he was responsible for, and they did that for eighty two games. And no matter which way you you slice it, I, you you could put more responsibility here and there. Um, he convinced Mel to play the four with Amari out. That opened up the floor. They signed a bunch of shooters, and it they it just kind of went rolling from there. So no matter which way you cut it up for me, um, he had some decent amount of responsibility for that. I don't like when people try to say, well, you know, Jason Kidd was on the team. They had good vets on the team. They were able to convince Melo to move the ball. And it's not, if it was as simple as that, then that's all that would have been done for years and years and years with Melo. You know, it's, I like to give him a little bit more credit there. I thought he was a really good coach, you know, not outstanding by any means, but just a really solid coach. I think he balanced the X's and O's well with being a player's coach. Um, and again, he opened up the offense. He opened up Melo's game to basically a career year. So um, I, I loved Woody. But that being said, I, I do agree. You, you don't want to go backwards either. And while I don't think I'd mind Woodson on staff, maybe, you know, as an assistant, as a, an associate, as you said before, uh, I don't know that I'd want him leading the charge. I wouldn't be mad about it, but I just wouldn't it wouldn't really do it for me. I, I, I'd want something to kind of wow me, you know, and we'll get to who those may be, but I don't know. Nothing against Woody. I just don't think it's the right choice. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to repeat anything you said because I agree with every word um, 100%. The only two things I'll throw in are um, he played two point guards at once with, in Jason Kidd and, and Raymond Felton, and that was mm-hmm. kind of seen as a weird thing then. And I'm like – there's a few hills that I'm gonna I'll die on, and one of them is that we're as a league we're moving to a place where every team is gonna have multiple ball handlers on the floor at the same time. It's just it's where we're headed, and whether he did that, like you said before, whether he did that because that was the the hand he was dealt or whatever, he did it. So it, it goes, made it work. So it, it, and it worked. And then the second thing I'll say, and this is actually another point in defense of him. Shockingly, I can't believe I'm making two two points in defense is that the thing he gets killed for was that the year after um, it all worked so well, he reverted back to playing big and putting Tyson Chandler and Amari Stoudemire and and Carmelo Anthony on the floor at the same time. And, you know, there's some quotes from that season where he's like, this is the lineup that we've always been waiting for. And retroactively, everybody kills him for that um, because... They say, well, you know, he clearly he went big in an era that was trending small. And to that, I'll just say, like, those were your three best players on the team. For, and it was the first time they had all been healthy at the same time, I think, since they had all gotten there. Chandler, Mello, and Stoudemire. Like, it's a little bit disingenuous to, to point fingers of blame at him for wanting to try that and wanting to try to make it work 
Like, especially look at this year. Like, Quinn Snyder might win Coach of the Year, and he was, like, 1,000% going to try to make the Gobert um, favors front line work. Like, coaches, sometimes they believe in something and they're going to try it. Now, it, did it work then? No, it didn't work. But it was too early, you know, in his tenure to, to or in Amare's career, I would say, to try to convince him to go to the bench. It's like I, I can't cast that much blame for reverting back to playing big that next year. All that being said, I'll go back to the, the beginning of this conversation. He's a perfectly fine coach. Maybe he's a little bit better than perfectly fine. Is that really what we're going to settle for at this point? I hope not. Could not agree more. The main mantra of going backwards and turning this into something where you're just almost settling for someone that you kind of know already just feels like the mantra that they should not be letting define this head coaching search. It just doesn't compute with me, and I don't think it's the right way to go about it. (coughs) So we all think Woody is a fine candidate. Would be maybe less than thrilled, but... Leave it at that. Let's go to the next guy who we can just talk about briefly because I don't think there's been conflicting reports about the Knicks' interest in him. So that's Jeff Van Gundy, who we know coached the Knicks for seven years. He was an assistant with the Knicks for seven years, so he had a long track record in the organization. He didn't leave under the best terms, so there was a lot of conflict between them for a while, so you kind of felt that. But that seems to have dissipated. He gets a nice ovation every time he comes back to the Garden. He also coached four years with the Rockets. But there have been reports on multiple sides that say, you know, the Knicks are not interested at all. The Knicks haven't contacted or the Knicks have contacted. I saw a billboard today that said hire Van Gundy. That was right in Times Square, I think. So... Jeff Van Gundy, is he someone that if he all of a sudden threw his hat into the ring, does that get you excited at all? I, For me, I mean, it doesn't – it's like if they hire Jeff Van Gundy tomorrow, can I honestly sit here and say that I'd be upset? No, I'd be lying. There would be the, you know, the 16-year-old kid in me that – you know, got to watch this team go to the finals under him, and I would remember that, and I'd be – and part of me would be thrilled. Um, that said, the only evidence that, that we have to go on as far as, you know, how well or not well Jeff Van Gundy has acclimated himself to a brand of basketball that is really looks nothing like how it did when he last coached is his, you know, his commentary that he gives on the games, which, you know, he strikes me as someone who, he, he almost strikes me as someone who gets where the game is at right now, but doesn't always embrace it fully. Um, you can, he's not stupid. He, he get like unlike some of the other you know people you hear doing these games. He gets it. He's smart. He's not a dumb man. But he also seems like a guy who's kind of cert- set in certain ways. Um, the only other thing I'll throw in is he's been the coach of I guess our under eighteen team. Yeah. Um, I think yeah for the last the FIBA uh, team. Yeah, yeah, the FIBA team. So, you know, someone said to me on Twitter the other day, like, that shows that he has, you know, abilities to develop guys. And, I, you know, working with guys here and there for like a couple weeks at a time, does that mean that Jeff Van Gundy all of a sudden knows how to develop young players? I, I have no idea. To me, it doesn't say that necessarily. Um, 
but it's not like he's been out of coaching altogether. So that part to me is a little bit encouraging. Um, ultimately, I would be on the, if the bar is like right down the middle, and I'm either happy with the hire or unhappy with the hire. I'd be happy with Jeff Van Gundy hire. I'll say that. My main part about him that just makes me a little queasy is the idea of high, hiring an older coach that played in a different era, like you mentioned, and then thrusting him into this era and seeing how he reacts to it. And I think Van Gundy's a better coach than this guy, but I remember when the Lakers hired Byron Scott and he was this coach with the Nets and he made the finals and they had this team that was run by Jason Kidd. They didn't shoot threes at all. And then Scott came in in 2011 and was like, we're just not going to shoot threes ever. And I don't care if anyone's doing it. This is, we're doing it my way. And that's just the way it is. And I think Van Gundy's much different than him, to be clear. But it's always a concern that I think we have to have when we have – we're almost trying to teach old dogs new tricks. Are they willing to be open-minded? And the way that Perry and Mills talked about their coaching search, it feels like a guy that defines that type of mentality – won't be a candidate because they were really preaching malleability, the willingness to learn, put in the work. And Van Gundy, again, is certainly willing to do that, but would he be willing to completely shift his mindset if that's the direction the Knicks want to go? I'm not sure. Kyle, what do you think? I think the reason, and I could be very, very wrong, I think the reason that there's any interest is because one part the name, I don't feel like that move the needle enough i think it's the fact that he's been coaching in the modern basketball world now for a little while with the fiba team and i think you couple those two things together and this kind of goes along with the due diligence that the you know perry and co want to do so i i don't want the same i almost feel the same way with you know uh with van gundy as i do with woodson I, i feel like he'd be a fine coach i feel like he wouldn't be able to coach you know a U.S. team had he not evolved to some degree. I, I'm sure he's not just plotting a seven-foot burly center every time down court and just doing post-ups. I'm sure he's running actual offense. I'm sure they've evolved a little bit. So I feel like they're just trying to do their due diligence. They know he's coaching. They know he's maybe changed and adapted a little bit. They wanted to just see what that means for this team, for this roster, and go from there. But I don't think it really means much anything. Agreed. So Van Gundy's a guy, kind of like Woody, that it would be okay. I like him. I like, I like him. him. Would it yeah. be the best thing for this organization? Probably not. So next guy we have is Jerry Stackhouse, who would very be, interesting. If it's very interesting, if they were the Knicks were to hire him, or if he gets hired to one of the other openings, he'll be the first coach ever to go straight from a G League head coach to an NBA head coach, which is exciting and another reason why the G League, you know, who actually upped their salaries today, which is awesome too. So we like where the G League is going. With the Raptors 905 that he coached the last few years, they won the championship last year. They made the finals this year. They've been the best defensive team in the G League for the last two years by a wide margin. They're a great rebounding team. They led the league in rebounding. They play a slower pace. So they are kind of a slow it down, let's suffocate this other team and make you have to work for all your buckets. He, pretty funny because when he was in the NBA, he was kind of a chucker and he wasn't really known as a lockdown defender and it's the exact opposite of what his team is. So he's kind of quipped that his teams are the exact opposite of what he was as a player. And he said it almost gives him 
a clearer mindset on what to do with his teams because he's like, okay, so what did I do? And we're going to do the exact opposite of that. So Mm -hmm. Jerry Stackhouse, Jonathan, what do you think? I I mean, I I can't say I've watched a whole lot of uh, the Toronto, what are they, the 905ers, I think? Toronto, Um, it's just Raptors 905. Raptors 905, okay. It's it's a strange name. Um, (laughs) Yeah, um, it is. But I did, um, I caught the podcast he was on with uh, Zach Lowe, I think it was over the summer. And, um, I mean, he was very clear. He was like, we don't allow shots at the rim. Um, You know, we try to defend, run guys off the three-point line. um, And no mid-range shots. Like, he was was like low-key making fun of of, uh, DeMar DeRozan on the pod. Being like, yeah, you keep saying you're going to stretch it out to three-point land. You know, when is it going to happen? And sure enough, the season, it, it did happen. But, yeah. you know, he wants he wants threes. Um, he wants like a Rockets-style offense, threes or, or shots at the rim. So if you're talking about a guy with with modern, you know, sensibilities, I mean, he seems to be that. Um, you know, I, I get the sense that he's a little bit of a, little bit of a hard ass. Um, I, I Maybe that's just me trying, like, reading him. No, he's got that uh, face. You know, his face just looks like he yeah. takes no shit from anyone. He always yeah, had that look. And he's trying to hide it with the with the three piece suits that he wears. But, yep. uh, <laughs> you're, not, you're not fooling anything. Um, you know, my concern with him would be very simple. He's he would be a rookie head coach, and yeah, sometimes you're going to get Brad Stevens. Um, but even Brad Stevens won whatever twenty some odd games in his first year. And and again, not that we. Not that anybody should care about wins and losses next season, but um, it's it's so tough. To, I think history has shown it's so tough to come into the NBA and to and to get it um, in the beginning. And maybe that's okay. Maybe next year can be a learning experience for the coach as well. You know, as long as it ends someplace good. Um, I guess my only my only question about that is. I feel like this organization, it's a constant, at this point, um, process of trying to convince, you know, Kristaps Porzingis to stay long-term. Um, so if they're going to hire a rookie head coach, he doesn't have to win a lot of games, but he has to show that, you know, he knows what he's doing. Um, so, yeah, but generally, if, if they hired stack guys, I'd, you know, I, I'd be thrilled. Kyle? I kind of feel the same way, to be honest. All that we really care about is having we're all very like-minded but all that we really care about is having somebody who's progressive enough going forward we just want to see a guy who's um willing to challenge and open guys up a little bit you know the the point about what he said to DeRozan is kind of uh kind of perfect to me I mean that's the kind of thing that I'd like to see someone do with KP you know I know KP talks all the time about he's more comfortable power forward and I believe him I know he still has to bulk up a little bit I understand it's a it's a process he was you know 18 19 coming into the league and starting I get it but I'd love to see a stack house kind of poking pride and behind closed doors like look man you got to be the five you you're an excellent rib protector like we need you there and then on offense look at how you can stretch the floor this makes your life easy like that's yeah that I mean that to me is, is sort of money like i i would be i'd be willing to gamble on uh, on stackhouse to be honest with you uh just the way everybody seems to talk about him not just as like an nba person but as an actual coach a lot of guys in the know a lot of really intelligent guys that i respect seem to really like him and 
um, you know, that and, and a couple other instances is all I really need to be to see to be sold on on that. My biggest thing is always going to be, and, and this is assuming full health for KP, but my biggest thing is always going to be, are we putting out lineups that are going to maximize KP? Are we going to run action that's going to maximize them? Because that's going to make everything else fall into place. So all of my, you know, it, you got to throw a blank check at KP, hope he resigns, and then this coaching decision to me is sort of based on you thinking he's going to be here for the next 10 years or so. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to see Stackhouse here if, you know, I, we don't get the couple of other guys that I would like to see, but I'm on board for him. It's also worth noting that this is the first candidate for the job we've talked about who we may want or the team may want and may decide to go somewhere else. I mean, that's an absolutely realistic possibility. Mm-hmm. Do you guys like the idea of getting a coach that's never coached in the NBA before to kind of define this regime for Perry and Mills? Like, do you like the idea of a rookie head coach? It makes you nervous, but does that make you, I guess, do you think it gives them the best ability to create their legacy versus getting anyone else that's been with another team? Um, the thing that I think about was the Derek Fisher thing, to be honest, Phil yeah. had just stepped in, he signed Derek Fisher and they actually butted heads because Derek Fisher wanted to play a smaller, faster-paced game, and Phil wanted to run the triangle stuff. And I thought that was a little bit funny because, you know, Derek had come from Phil's system, the triangle system. He had won within it multiple times, and I just thought it was strange that he would be so adamant and put up such a fight against, um, you know, actually running that. So I thought he did a lot of good things that year. I mean, they, they pick-and-rolled a hell of a lot. I feel like he got something out of jerry and grant that first year not not a ton i mean not anything worthwhile or substantial but whatever was there for him as an nba player i feel like we saw it in new york whatever his strengths were which seemed to be the pick and roll and attacking a little bit we saw that you know fisher implemented it so i wouldn't be too worried as long as you know he's able to assess the roster and you know just make smart modern choices about it i feel like that's half the battle you don't want to have an ideology you know, ideology clash. So, and I guess the only worry with Stackhouse for if they were willing to gamble on him, like you said, he's a bit of a hard ass. If this was an older team, maybe I'd be concerned. Yeah. But I feel like younger guys kind of need that direction a little bit. So, again, if he's doing that and he's maximizing what they're good at, I don't think it would be that big of an issue. I think it's worth that gamble to, to hire a guy who doesn't have you know, NBA experience, so to speak. Yeah, I'll, I'll almost kind of go back on something I said before. If anything, if there's ever going to be a situation where a rookie head coach could spend a year, you know, kind of figuring it out, as long as it's it's this one, as long as he's upfront and honest about the fact that it might be a little bit of a learning process for him too, I felt the one sense that I always got with Hornacek was that there was like this disconnect between him and the players to a certain extent like he I don't want to say that he wasn't being honest or forthright but I don't know you just got the sense that there was there was a lot of stuff that sometimes he didn't say maybe he said it behind closed doors but Stackhouse to me I get the read that he is a guy that um is not is not going to have that issue um so yeah if you're asking me between a rookie head coach and a guy that's like been there done that like a Woodson or or a Van Gundy I'm going to choose Stackhouse 
in my perfect world, could I could I get a coach that's had like just a little bit of NBA experience, which may apply to someone we're still going to talk about? Yeah, ideally. Um, but no, it's it's not a concern for me. Yep. And the obvious difference between Fisher, who we had brought up, and who I'm sure someone out there will bring up when it comes to creating narratives if he was the guy for the Knicks to hire is that Fisher had never coached while Stackhouse was an assistant for the Raptors and then opted to go to the G League because he thought that would provide him the best opportunity to be able to end up getting a head coaching gig. So I think that says a lot about his character, too. And I didn't want to downplay um, the G League, especially the strides they've taken in the last couple of of years. Yeah. Is it like had we talked about like five or six years ago about oh well he was a G League head coach, I don't know that I would have scoffed at it, but I would have taken it considerably less serious. Um, right now, you know, you it's so much more involved the way that league works with the NBA now that it's it's much more meaningful to me. So I, you know, don't mean to downplay it or anything. Like the G, it's nothing to scoff at in my opinion. And any listeners like that's it's kind of a big deal now. It's it's trending towards being more and more of a big deal. Side note, I think they've done a good job of rebranding it because when people call it the D-League now, I just look at them like, dude, what are you talking about? It's the (laughs) G-League. And that wasn't the case at the beginning of the year. It might just be because the Westchester Knicks and the Knicks had a lot of call-ups back and forth, but like, I don't even consider it to be the D-League anymore. It's the G-League. So bravo to them for that one. Kudos. (laughs) So the next guy we have, we got two left to chat about. So let's talk about David Blatt, former coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Went 83-40 and 40 in his year plus before he was dismissed and Ty Lue took over. So his record overseas, pretty impeccable. Six-time Israeli Cup winner, four-time coach of the year. He won the Euro Cup this past year with a Turkish team. I can't pronounce the name, so I'm not going to try to. Yeah. He was basically ousted from Cleveland because he wasn't LeBron's choice. He was hired before LeBron had decided to go to Cleveland and then was basically just put into this really tough position where he had to deal with LeBron and Kevin Love coming in. So we know the story at this point. Everyone knows David Blatt's name. I think he gets a bad rap from some because of that situation. And people say, oh, you know, LeBron didn't like him. They had all this stuff that went wrong. So the overarching theme with him, I don't think any of us really had enough time to evaluate him as an NBA coach. So it's hard to know how good he could be. We know how much success he's had. Mm -hmm overseas so when it comes to the nba kyle let's start with you for david blatt what do you think his maybe his ceiling is and did you take anything away from his tenure in cleveland absolutely not and that's not even his fault i and i don't mean that to shit on him you know you have lebron who's arguably the smartest basketball player of all time who just happens to be a ball handler who runs the offense like i mean he got he kind of got a raw deal. He got hired to to coach Kyrie and Andrew Wiggins, basically. And then with the quickness, they ship Wiggins out. You know, LeBron signed. They ship Wiggins out. They signed Kevin Love, and then that was that. So I don't know how much of what happened that year before he got fired was him, and I don't know how much of it was LeBron just still being in his prime and overruling him and, and running the show. So um, – what I can say is they had a really good record before he got fired. Um, they were playing really well. I, I haven't glanced at the offensive numbers or anything, but I would be willing to guess that they had really good offensive numbers with him at the helm. But um, I didn't. I don't think anyone can really say they took a lot away from 
what he did in Cleveland for that roughly half a season. Um, I, I just don't, I have a lot of faith in what he can do. I have a lot of faith in it because of his results overseas with multiple different teams, but I don't know. And I, and I really want him to get this job by the way. So I just don't know that I can honestly say like, here's a couple like real solid examples or trends that I picked up from his time in Cleveland. I just don't know that you can really make that case. Jonathan, what do you think? I think of all the candidates that we're going to talk about, even the one we have left still, and even some of the guys that, that we didn't, we're not talking about because they had their names haven't been connected with the job. Blatt above all of them is the one that you could look at and you could say, this guy knows how to just as far as like X's and O's, like this guy knows how to coach. Like, I don't, I don't know that there's an argument against that. And well, actually, no, I shouldn't say that because some people might look at some of the stuff that happened in Cleveland and say, well, no, there, there wasn't always great X's and O's there. And to that, I would say to those people, well, it's like, imagine like a, a world-class chef that you're giving the best ingredients, but you're telling him to cook with like one hand tied behind his back. Um, because the, that's like in, in a, a weird way, try like, to me, coaching LeBron is like, that's, it's, you might say it's like the easiest job to me. That's the hardest job in basketball. Like, how do you coach a guy that not only is going to do what he wants, when he wants, regardless of what you say, but essentially runs the organization. Um, like I, I don't, so like that to me is why you can't, like you said, um, Kyle, why you can't really judge his run in Cleveland and why if anyone has any nitpicks about like the stuff that they saw on the floor from hit, from those teams, from blast teams in Cleveland, I, to me, that's, that's not a reason you shouldn't like him for the job. For me, the issue is more like you, like there's just, there's stuff that came out of there that suggested to me that he was not great at relating to NBA players. Maybe I'm reading into too much to stuff that I've read and, and heard, but like, you know, like Windhorse always used to go on like Zach Lowe's pods during those, those Cleveland years, like, you know, once every couple of weeks, it felt like. Um, and even though he may not have ever actually come out and said it, you got the sense that it just, there's something that wasn't right there. And then it begs the question, okay, well, how much of that is LeBron? How much of that is Blatt? And we can't know that answer. Like, it's impossible to know that answer. So, you know, I, I forget what, what coach, coaching candidate we, we said this term in, in connection with earlier, but it's taking a little bit of a leap, leap of faith. I think we actually said it with, with, with Mark Jackson. Um, hiring Blatt would be taking a little bit of a leap of faith. And, like, to me, he, he, he's probably he's below Stackhouse on my list. Um, but at the same time, if they hired him, I, I, I don't know. I'd be worried but I'd also be kind of secretly excited if that makes any sense. What about you, Matt? It doesn't feel like a Knicks hire, right? It just doesn't feel like something they would do. It doesn't. And I think he might be my second favorite, but I just, I can't, I'm picturing the Woj tweet right now, you know, breaking Knicks have hired, and I can't in my head see Knicks have hired David Blatt to be their head coach. I just can't see it happening. It's just something that I, I can't picture it. So, his concerns about relating to the players seem real. We know that he's a good X and O's coach. We've mentioned. I just, I don't see it happening in this world or the next. 
No, I mean, it's my gut. It's a good point about him not being able to relate to players. And I wonder how much of that, and I don't want to come off the wrong way, but I wonder how much of that is because he's a, a foreign coach. You know, I, it, it is, no matter which way you want to cut it, it it's not a bad thing, but it, people are going to act different on the other side of the world. Like, that's just a oh, yeah. fact. You know, so I wonder how much of that was him just doing things a certain way with those players, and then you have to come in and coach basically the second greatest player of all time or a top two greatest player of all time, um, you know, that you weren't anticipating coaching. Like, you signed on for basically a rebuilding job with Kyrie and Andrew Wiggins, and you got kind of thrust into being the lead man for a, a finals team and coaching LeBron. So I wonder how much of sort of that changing variable and and also just you know again always dealing with guys from overseas i i'm sure it had a clearly didn't have a good impact with him with that team so again maybe with many of these guys maybe he's learned from it i don't know but that would be a very real issue potentially because chris asporzingis is latvian and also very foreign and frank nilakila is also very foreign and there are very foreign guys on this team, so maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. They they are, but I don't know. When I it look could at, work. When I look at Kristaps, I get the sense that he has a little bit more, a little bit more. You know, like obviously he's not like a like the AAU typical um, American basketball player athlete, but you know he has his team of people. He clearly, you have to deal with him a certain way. Um, I think that much is apparent already. So again, it's like you said, I don't know. I, I, I wish I wish I had a better sense. <laughs> no, nobody really knows. No, nobody really knows. But he's I, I really do feel like of all the candidates, Blatt's like you could argue for days about him in in the bad and in the good, and you wouldn't you wouldn't come out of it having any much of a better idea. But I could see him being the next Quinn Snyder, and I can see him being you know, the next, I can't think of another guy off the top of the head that came overseas and sucked. So fill in the blank or look it up on Google or something because you're smarter so. than I am. <laughs> so <laughs> the last guy we have is uh, David Fisdale, who was dismissed from the Grizzlies, which at the beginning of this year, which feels like forever ago. Mm-hmm. It, I was shocked that it was this year. Lest oh we, we forget that those Grizzlies, led by David Fisdale, beat the Houston Rockets. Twice. I think were they five and zero or five and one? They were good and they beat a lot of good teams. <laughs> and then Marcus all packed his bags and got him out of town. Yep. They so, beat the they beat the Rockets twice. They beat the Warriors. They beat the Blazers. I think they beat the Pelicans. They were oh they had some, a lot of good teams. Yeah. So he had as an assistant. He had one season with the Warriors. Spent some time with the Hawks. He was most prominently featured on the bench with the Heat. During their run with Spolstra, he was always the guy that they'd pan the camera. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know who that guy is every time. It's yeah. the assistant coach that you'd know. So he was the head coach of the Grizzlies for a year. They made the playoffs. So he was 50 and 51. I should say a year plus because he was still around for, you know, about 20 games. They were, interestingly, a much different team under him. So last year they were 15th in the league in three-point frequency, but for the previous eight years, they had been in the bottom five of the league in terms of three-point frequency. So that's definitely Mm -hmm. something that he instilled in that team, whether it was a personnel difference that led to that change or 
just a a hunch that he had that could make it work with that roster. So the the curious thing when it comes to Fisdale is it seemed like everyone was shocked when he was fired and there was an outpouring of support for him and it didn't seem like anyone really had anything bad to say. I was going back and looking at Grizzlies Reddit when they fired him and it seemed like a lot of uh, like we just we need to do what Gasol wants because he's our franchise guy, you know, fire Chris Wallace. He's the one that's really at fault here. So, and he has a lot of support. He's been on TV. People seem to love him around the league. He spent so many times with so many different squads. People know him. So that was the the reason that he's been a popular candidate. And I wonder, I don't know if I believe this, but I'm going to play devil's advocate because I know that he's a popular candidate. And I know you guys will probably have some nice things to say about him. Could it be just a lack of exposure to him as a head coach that makes us think he's good and the fact that he's a likable guy that we think he's a good head coach? Are we sure of that? Because that Grizzlies team that he inherited was still a Mike Conley, Marc Gasol, Zach Randolph team that had some contributors that played well, like Jermichael Green played well for that team. They had other players. Are we sure that he's this good head coach that we seem to make him out to be and that people tell us he is or is he just a likable guy that's made his way around the league and paid his dues and that's why people like him mm, i think he's a good head coach yeah. i mean I think, I, mean, coach. I mean I think i think we're gonna find out like how good he is maybe he turns into another perfectly average coach i think that might be his floor and maybe he's a really really good coach but i'm gonna go towards really really good because to counter your counter you know uh-huh. basically basically you know that was an aging team that he inherited. Yep. That was a on its last legs, second round, you know, perennial second round contending team that he inherited. And he basically taught some old dogs new tricks by trying to get them to go small, you know, and to your point about the three point frequency going, you know, up, you know, they were almost dead last. And it looks like the, I'm pulling up just JB's graphic here from earlier, you know, the from 2008 to 2015, the highest they ranked in three-point frequency was the very, well, 2008. They were 26th. Yep. And then they were the worst team in three-point frequency. They were, for two years running, they were the second worst, third worst. And then he comes in and they go right to 14. So they're already, you know, league average, basically, with how many threes you want to shoot. And then before he was fired uh, earlier this year, he was... 21st, but I wonder how much of that had to do with Marcus Gasol putting up a stink. But anyway, um, but to that point, the mid-range, uh, same thing. They used to be top 10 every year, top five a lot of years in uh, mid-range frequency. And then they jump all the way back to 17th and then 19th. So basically you inherit a Zach Randolph Gasol team, a Mike Conley team. Those teams play slow. They just do. They were a really good half-court team. And you got them to play a little bit smaller, much to Marc Gasol's dismay. You got them to shoot some more threes and space the floor. And I just think that's kind of the sign of a good coach. You came in and took a team that had an entirely different identity, a half-core bruising identity, and you got them to just play faster, play smaller, and just shoot a little bit more threes. I think if you could do that with established veterans, with an established identity, with a lot of playoff success, I think you can do that with young, impressionable guys who still need to be molded. So that's how I feel about it. So I am uh, I am very much uh, a supporter of Fisdale at this point. I went 
like back in October, um, when he still had a job, you know, I said my dream candidates would be someone off of the, the San Antonio bench. And the season ended and I felt the same way, but I said really close behind them is Fisdale. Um, so to me, I look at it like how often does it does it come to pass in the NBA or in any sport where you're going to get a guy who's a great coach that hasn't already been somewhere for a decade? And it, it never happens because teams don't let those coaches go. And I think this is one of the rare situations where, I don't know how else to say it, a team fucked up. Um, and if you know anything about the Memphis Grizzlies and you know about their ownership situation, um, they there's a whole thing that's been going on there for since before this season where one of the owners could possibly like exercise a right to buy the team if another owner doesn't put up like enough of a, a, a it, it's like some complicated scenario. I don't know. I'm not explaining it well at all. But the point of why I bring it up is it was unsettled. It was an unsettled situation, and there was no backbone in place to say, no, we're not going to fire the head coach that has been on the top of everybody's, like, next up-and-coming, this guy's going to be a great head coach lists for years. We're instead going to let him manage his team the way he feels fit to manage his team. Um, And if he wants to sit his petulant, um, center who had been dogging it, by the way, um, in the fourth quarter, then he could sit the center in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for one, like for everybody who's like, you know, what about the what about the Gasol situation? To me, that's a that's a plus on his res- on his resume. The fact that you know his his star player wasn't playing up to par, and he sat him on the bench. Um, and in furtherance of an effort to play more modern basketball, by the way, just a couple more stats. People think that the Grizzlies were this perennial amazing defense. The year before he took over as coach, um, they had dropped down to 19th in overall defensive efficiency. His year in coach, uh, as coach, they were 7th. Um, you spoke about modernizing the offense. It goes beyond just three-pointers. The year before he got there, they were 20th in assist rate. The year uh, his one full season as the coach – they moved all the way up to 12th in assist rate. So a decent jump. Like, to me, like, he he was a great coach in his time that he was there. And they had one, it was an eight-game losing streak. And then, you know, and by the way, that, that losing streak they had, um, I forget if it's eight or nine games, but, like, most of the games were by 10 points or less. A lot of close games. They played some really good teams during that stretch. Yep. You know, it's like that organization screwed up. And now the rest of the league has a chance to take advantage of Memphis's screw-up. Um, and my only question with Fisdale is whether he wants to come here or not because I personally think he's going to wait until the Bucks are eliminated from the playoffs um, and do his due diligence on that job. And the only reason I could see him picking us over Milwaukee is because their ownership – situation is kind of not the best either and they're not i don't think looked at as like the best run team um despite the fact that they have a a top you know five player um so yeah i'm like at this point he he would be so far and away 
um, my favorite choice of the people mentioned because I don't think there's any holes in his candidacy. I think he's he's the perfect perfect guy for for basically every reason. I'll give you one more. He also benched Zach Randolph and played Jamichael Green, which helped out their offense and defense a lot. It's what they needed. It gave him a shot in the arm, and Zebo was coming off the bench and kind of doing his thing against bench units and instead of against the starters, and then it allowed Jamichael Green to kind of expand his game a bit. It worked for their offense. I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think it's hard to find a lot of faults. It's like anything else. I think it's kind of like Blatt, too. We don't have huge sample sizes to really know, but they're encouraging, and they're more encouraging than a lot of the other guys we've talked about. The three-point shooting, the defensive jump, the assist rate jump, those are all good signs and bode well for his future. And the question that it's going to come down to, which Jonathan mentioned, is if he wants to come here, because based on what the Knicks were saying in the press conference, he seems like the guy they're describing. A younger guy that's looked into analytics, he's willing to change the game, he's willing to do things that maybe they can have a conversation about, and he's a younger guy, so it feels like the kind of guy that Perry and Mills can kind of hitch their carriage to, if you will, and that's the kind of guy that they need to target. So let's bring all this back, because we've talked about all the candidates. And quick, can I just add one last thing on Fisdale before we move on? Yes, sir. Really you mentioned him uh, benching Zach Randolph. He did that in his first year as coach. And this is not this is a guy who is his first year as an NBA head coach and got a guy that they retired his freaking jersey this year while he was playing for another team. And he convinced that guy with zero days of NBA head coaching experience to come off the bench. If you want to talk about a guy that could potentially – convince Kristaps Porzingis to play center or convince, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. to come off the bench eventually. Like, this is the guy who's going to do it. He, he has shown the ability to do this already. So Absolutely. I just want to throw that in there. Kyle, do you have any final thoughts on Fisdale? Uh, the only thing is uh, it seems to be the prevailing theme here is either you're going to gamble on somebody who you have a hunch on, you know, whether it's a Stackhouse or a Fisdale or uh, a Blatt. Somebody that there's just little evidence, little trends to go off of, or you're going to settle for guys that you know, guys that you've seen, and you know what you're getting from. And I just feel like, just gamble. Just gamble. I mean, either way, it's going to end up okay or miserable. You know, worst case scenario. And I feel like you already kind of know what's going to happen with those other guys. So Mm -hmm. if, you know, it's it's not really like being sold on false hope, but if guys are you know, giving you the right ideology, you know, they're willing to be modern and go forward and it matches up with what the front office wants to do, then I think you got to gamble on them. One of those guys I think is going to be it and we'll see what happens, but it just can't be more of the same. So, yeah. And I'd argue even if you're going to gamble, I don't even think the floor for a Fizdale or a Blatt is that low. Like, I are agree. you going to look me in the eyes and tell me the floor for Fizdale is lower than the floor for Woodson? I just don't think that's the case and we know how low the floor is for jackson the mm-hmm. upside is there for guys like fizzo or blad or stackhouse it might not I work agree. out great but i don't see the downside being so much more drastic that we should be that afraid of taking a risk on a guy right you know? that's that's kind of what it comes down to and listen 
again, to bring this all back, this is an organization that's had head coach after head coach after head coach. They've tried it all. They got D'Antoni, who had massive amounts of success. It didn't work out. They had Mike Woodson, who built himself up by the bootstraps, got a great Atlanta team at the end. They made the playoffs after being terrible. It didn't work out. They brought in Derek Fisher. They tried a guy that had never coached in the NBA or anywhere before. It really didn't work out. They brought in Hornacek, who was a younger, up-and-coming coach, had a great year with Phoenix, and it ended up failing as well. I just want to see them bring a guy in here and say, this is our guy. Perry and Mills need to really sit down and take a look in the mirror and a look at each other and say, this is the most important decision we're going to make because we need to sell some hope to this fan base. They've seen so many coaches in and out the door, and they're always going to be critical of them. But we need someone that they can have some faith in and that we have faith in that they can stick around for a little while. It's what they need. That's their ticket to almost getting rid of this Nick Stink that seems to attach itself to everything that comes in the organization. That's why hiring a Jackson or a Woodson or a Van Gundy just seems like such an oversight because you have an opportunity to start fresh and sit down at the table brand new. You say, this is who we are right now. We have one of the best 20 players in the NBA when he's healthy. We have a young point guard that we really like. We have a couple G League guys that came up that we think can be great. We have this lottery pick, (laughs) Mikael Bridges, that we think is going to be excellent moving forward. So just get a guy, stick with him, and have it be someone that we can really have some faith in. That's what it comes down to for me. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, and it's like that. I think the biggest the people that wanted to keep Hornacek were like thinking along your lines that you know you just you got to get some you got to just stick with a guy after a while, um, you know. But it has to be the right guy. But I think just to go along with what you just said, if you hire a guy and you and you let it be known from the get go that like he will be here. Like he's not he's not going anywhere. We're going to give him time to develop this thing the way he wants to develop it. Um, and you know, Hornacek never really got that chance. Fisher certainly didn't get that chance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think actually maybe things would have turned out differently if he if he had been given a longer a longer leash. But um, yeah, I'm with you. I just I, I, I don't just anyone but Mark Jackson, please God. <laughs> Um, that's, that's all. That's all I got. <laughs> Kyle, final thoughts? Uh, no, we're just changing the name to the podcast. It's going to be anyone but Mark Jackson podcast. <laughs> yes. So, um, everyone change your ads accordingly on Twitter yep. and let's, uh, rebrand a little bit here because that's basically, I feel like we're either going to be thrilled with the coaching hire or we're just going to be thrilled. It's not Mark Jackson and there's going to be nothing in between. Good call. If I get the notification and I see Blatt, Fizdale, or Stackhouse, I can talk myself into it every time, and I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. If I see Woodson, Van Gundy, or Jackson, I'm going to find plenty of reasons to not like it. That's what it's going. I'm going to draw the line right down the middle, right there. And if anyone starts to jump in, you know, I, on Bill Simmons' podcast today, obviously he's not a Knicks insider or anything, and I, I obviously am a bigger stand of his than Kyle. I can see Kyle raising his eyebrows at me right now. He brought up Doc Rivers as someone else who, that could who, get who's in the conversation. Uh, who? 
Who's the he you're referring to? <laughs> I don't know. We'll leave it a mystery. He brought okay. up Doc Rivers. He also brought up Becky Hammond, which is a name that I've heard thrown around. But again, the Knicks would never do that because he mentioned very accurately so. He said, yeah, the, the organization that paid off $12 million on behalf of someone's lawsuit and then it brought them back is going to be the first organization to hire a female head coach. Yeah, that's going to happen. Can I say something? Would yeah. that not be the most Machiavellian, devious, conniving move by James Dolan ever to yes. hire a female head coach to buy himself, you know, currency and goodwill after that, all the other shit that happened? That's, he would that's sum why up I almost, his evil mantra perfectly. That's, he would just really complete his arch as just the evil genius. Or not even, not even I, I can't believe I just said genius. Just the <laughs> evilness, the, the thing that hangs over MSG. If, oh my if God. I was a, if I was a betting man that had to choose between James Dolan not hiring Becky Hammond or James Dolan hiring Becky Hammond, I'd put all of my do- dollars into him hiring Becky Hammond. He... Of course, it's it's a press saving move. Look at me bringing like, imagine. Yeah. His, do you remember his dumb grin when he hired Phil Jackson and he tried oh, it out? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you mean to tell me that shitty grin wouldn't be out there with Becky Hammond? Just just he'd eat it up. He'd eat it up. No matter what happens, he'd eat it up. Of course, he'd hire Becky Hammond. Not for basketball reasons. It would have nothing to do exactly. with exactly. He would just know that that's a head coaching option and. This could help us separate from the past. That's yep. all that that hiring would be. But And Jonathan uh, mentioned he, that he was excited about the Spurs assistance, and I assume we can kind of throw her in that mix. But we would all be, like, talking about the basketball things, and Dolan's out here thinking, like, oh, man, this is going to be great. And New York's a pretty smart place, and I think that even if they hired a woman, which I think we would all be excited about, and, like, that would just be fantastic, not to pander, of course, but it would be cool. It just well, it would be such a conflicting set of interests from both sides. It would just feel weird. Small note so we can wrap up, but to me she would almost be in the stack house tier. Like Yeah, I'd agree you know, with that. It's it's kind of a gamble. There's no actual head coaching experience. Stack had assistant head uh, assistant coach experience and then he coached in the G uh G League. They both had playing experience. Um they're both well respected. Like they're almost exactly the same outside of their gender, in my opinion. Right. So yeah. They have essentially almost, the same resume. It's basically yeah, the same I thing. I would almost give the nod to Becky Hammond just being from the, the pop coaching tree. But, again, I don't think that's an option at this point. But it would be nice. I'd be really happy about that hire, too. But okay. that's where I placed. She's been my, she's been my 1B to Messina's uh, 1A yes. for a right. while now. Um, and, like, just, like, selfishly, you know, I have a year and a half old daughter who, you know, I, I like to think I'm going to be able to get to watch basketball within the next couple of years. And I would love nothing more the, than to point to the TV and be like, see, that's that's the Knicks coach. Like, you could do that someday. Like, to me, that'd be awesome. Oh, that'd be um, fantastic. You know, and the and the pop coaching tree thing to me is like, like I, I would hire, I, I would probably hire the water boy from San Antonio before I hired some of the guys <laughs> we, we talked about um, on the podcast today. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I worship at the altar of pop. So that's, that's me. So we'll see as in the coming weeks, I'm not sure how quickly this will come together, but I'm sure we'll hear plenty of news reports. We'll get more billboards around New York before they make a hire. We'll see how quickly this ends up resolving itself. But until then, Jonathan, what do we got to look forward for you? Anything coming up? Yeah, I got a piece that, uh, I think it should be dropping in the next 24 to 48 hours. Um, kind of playing off a lot of the stuff that Perry and Mills talked about in the press conference, um, you know, trying to become a more 
analytics-based team, you know, just basically more modern team. And I, I kind of dove into some stats and tried to figure out, like, what is it exactly that like, we all think we know what winning teams do, you know, shoot a lot of threes, um, run up and down the floor. But I kind of took a deep dive into that. So that'll be coming out soon. And then, um, yeah, you know, usual draft free agency stuff as we get closer to the summer. Yep. So we had our first piece for our draft prospect coverage drop today. We had Mike Cortez talking about Luka Doncic. Obviously not a likely candidate for the Knicks. They have less than 2% chance of jumping up to number one. But we can dream. It's still fun to, to think about. So we had that drop today. We got plenty of more exciting stuff coming up for prospects as we build up to the lottery selection and the draft itself. So keep an eye out. YouTube, Twitter, we'll have tons of content dropping there. Until then, we got you guys covered with the coaching search. Guys, we'll talk to you later. Good night. Take it easy.